when I asked you, what is the most pressing issue that you're facing right now in this pandemic? And what are you missing most in your life? Some of you mentioned that you are missing the community of the Dhamma because we have to meet online. And some of you are really missing the solitude and the joy of solitude. Maybe you have kids and family to take care of and not much chance to be alone. Some of you said that you're struggling a lot with not knowing how to respond to the world that we are so rapidly destroying. And one of you mentioned being awash in so much Dhamma, delivered in wonderful ways in Zoom, online Zoom sessions, that it's hard to limit and you want to partake in so much. So you're facing this interesting paradox. And many of you are grappling with uncertainty. But living with uncertainty is something that we practice. And being able to make choices day to day to gain some sense of certainty, of direction, to navigate through these times. The human condition now might seem different to earlier times in this particular era, but if you look back in history, the world has never really been a good place. And that's just the nature of the human realm. It's a realm of suffering. The Buddha didn't say that it wasn't. But he did say it's also a realm of the ending of suffering. So you can notice if you're feeling that there's the too much and the too little, too much solitude, not enough solitude, too much Dhamma teaching, not enough Dhamma teaching, too much community, not enough community. We're always out of balance. And that's what the practice is all about. It's the worldly winds all over again. Even if you call it Dhamma winds, they end up being worldly winds as soon as the grasping takes off. We're back in samsara and we're circling. We're circling. The ending of circling always begins within us. It doesn't end out there. 
even if the balance of Dhamma out there would be perfect, that moment of perfection would be impermanent. And the mind would find something else wrong. Something else would go out of balance. Even the loss of solitude is a way of holding conditions. Because conditions are ever-changing. Here, for example, we're bhikkhunis. We have a very complex vinaya that we follow, our code of discipline. And we've been following it rigorously for years. And suddenly, we're sweating. We're having to follow it in a situation that is so volatile and so much more insecure that it's just making us draw out of the depths the wherewithal and the creativity and the faith and the stamina to just keep going. Whatever it is, just keep with it. One day, it feels horrible. And the next day, ah, you feel, you feel like you can do it. And then it goes back to, how are we going to manage? And then we keep going. We just keep going. But the challenge of it all is really quite surprising. It's inspiring for us to see what we can pull out of difficulty. How we can bring a phoenix out of the ashes of an apparent end of what we are accustomed to. But isn't it good that it ended? Because there is so much positive that has come from it. We have to remember that the world will not offer us liberation, no matter how well it functions. And the world is always going to change, whether we tamper with it or not. Human beings are definitely destroying a lot. But this world is not permanent. This earth is just a phenomena arising and ceasing in the universe, just like all other phenomena. And it's a suffering realm. So we have to keep that in perspective. It isn't easy for us to witness suffering.
especially when we feel as a human race responsible for it or when we see that people are not taking responsibility and causing so much harm. What are we taking refuge in? If we try to eke out a refuge from worldly conditions, it will never work. Because worldly conditions are fallible. That is their nature. Just like the human body. We are so identified with the human body, even though we know that it is death-bound. In another way, our identification with it is so powerful that it overpowers our reasoning about it and our ability to seek happiness in a way that is not flawed. So we keep gratifying ourselves visually or through taste, gratification of the sense doors or the mind with information, with Dhamma information. But the real Dhamma and the real unassailable happiness is the realization of Nibbana, which is the unconditioned, which is not tainted in any way by this realm, this samsaric realm. So even if it's to be destroyed, here we are. We're in a process. If we realize Nibbana, then we realize the ending of our being bound, our enslavement to this realm or to any realm, to samsara itself. The being who has realization full realization of Nibbāna is not touched by worldly conditions. Whether there's too much Dhamma information or not enough, whether the external solitude is there or it doesn't exist, there is an inner sanctity a sanctuary which is undisturbed, unimpacted by the eight worldly winds. There is no fear of death. And there's no fear about the conditions of the world, the disturbance or the turbulence of the world that is not something that we can change. It can feel very unnerving to us. 
But we have to seek our refuge not in the world. And just as if we're passing through. This doesn't mean that we don't care. But all these things are karmically hinged. The law of karma governs the universe. That is not something we can change. Nor can we fully understand it. The Buddha says that if we try to understand the sphere of karma or the workings of karma, we can go mad. Because we don't have that awakened knowledge to understand the karmic law. But the more the mind becomes developed, the more we cultivate the path, the more we can see how the laws of karma govern. And if we can let go within our understanding of that connection, then we observe. We can observe the unfolding of things in the world with compassion, realizing this is how it is. This is how it is. We have a responsibility as human beings to take care of what is given to us within our capacity. But beyond that, things will evolve in the way that they do. We'll notice that the Dhamma wheel, the Dhamma chakra, rolls on. But... It doesn't roll forever. And there's a time when the teachings become more and more dilute. Their momentum declines. The Buddha even predicts future dangers when people start to neglect the Dhamma more and more. And so the turning of the wheel of Dhamma eventually will stop. There have been multiple Buddhas for eons, but there may only be one more Buddha to arise, Maitreya Buddha. So we want to realize Nibbana as fast as possible. We can't delay indefinitely because we don't know if the teaching will even be around or be available. We can't take it for granted. We think we have control, but we don't have control. 
we think we understand the Dhamma. But we may not really understand the Dhamma. We think we're contemplating dhammically when we worry about the conditions of the world. But worry itself has no validity for enlightenment. It's a kilesa, a defilement of the mind. So if we hold anything with worry, anxiety, restlessness, impatience, or greed, then we're holding the whole thing with a mind that is not pure. So, to wake up as soon as we can. If we purify our view, if we cultivate the path to the point where our view is that of the Dhamma, the Dhamma eye begins to open for us the vision of the Dhamma. Then there's a greater equanimity. And equanimity is never passive. Real equanimity is unconditioned. It has in it unconditional loving-kindness, unconditional compassion, unconditional empathy for the good or for the harm experienced by others. Our perceptions delude us very easily. So it's really important for us to come back to the reality of what our journey is. Our trespass on this earth is of a dharmic nature. It's not a worldly passage So we must somehow pull ourselves out of worldly perceptions of who we are and what we're doing here, what our work is here. Our work is to let go of greed, hatred, and illusion. And letting go of delusion is the hardest part. So naturally, for us too, sometimes it feels as if there's no one else but two nuns here in our world. But the world is arising and ceasing in the mind, in the heart, 
That's where it's arising and ceasing. So, the ability to be with others really depends on how much we are with our own truth. And if we are truly with that, then we can hold all conditions with compassion. If not with great compassion, with a tiny bit of compassion and a forgiveness. We hold them with enough wisdom to see that this too will change. Now it feels terrible, but that's how we perceive it. That's just our perception. We know that this perception is not awake yet. We use the good qualities, the wholesome qualities of mind to reflect on our virtue and on our practice. And we use those reflections to give ourselves the strength to be with conditions as they are. And we have to remember that karmically we are all death-bound. Not everybody dies because of the virus. Many people die for so many reasons. Everything is uncertain. Everything, every breath is uncertain. But when we add worry to uncertainty, there's a little explosion. Have compassion for the worry and the uncertainty and come back to realizing all conditions are impermanent. They are of a suffering nature and it's not who we are. Full stop. How could this be what we are? So how much are we identified with what we are perceiving? This is important for us to understand. How much wanting is there in our perception? Lonely? Not lonely. Having enough? Not having enough. What will happen tomorrow? What happened yesterday? Past and future. These ways of holding past and future, these are thoughts. The thinking mind is bound to lead us to craving, wanting, clinging, then suffering. It's good. It's not good. 
But even if it's good, it finishes. What do we do? Contemplate. Anicca, dukkha, anatta. Impermanent, suffering, empty of self. Contemplate the four noble truths. If we're suffering, what's the origin? If we know the origin, we already have the first and second noble truths. And once we have the first and second noble truths, then the third noble truth, the cessation of suffering, is at our fingertips. Stay with impermanence. Investigate it. Stay with the selflessness of it. Investigate it. Or stay with the dukkha of it, if you can, and see that that's impermanent. Even if it's just a sensation of the body, then you see the impermanence of it. Then grow that understanding more and more so that we graduate our understanding of impermanence to a universal level. I notice as I get old that the contemplation of death is the real contemplation of death. Yeah. There is that. So what what do I do when I feel that? I turn my mind to the dying of that which is unwholesome. The fear is unwholesome. So how do I let the fear of death die? If the fear of death can be let go of, then we're not afraid of dying because the fear is what needs to die. It's very easy for us to feel fearless when there is nothing to fear. Or to feel invincible when there's no apparent danger. But suddenly, there's so much danger around us. We become more and more insecure more and more worried, more and more unstable. You ask, what is the most important practice to purify the mind? If one is devoted to truth, then to be true as best as we can, that's important. 
if we have wrong view, then we don't see clearly. So if we have wrong view, how do we correct our view? To be able to see clearly, to see clearly and truly what is being seen, so that in the scene, there's only the scene. This is from the suttas. In the herd, there is only the herd. In the smell, there is only the smell. In the taste, there is only the taste, and so forth. Without adding on to that, then the mind has to be taught how to see. We've been trained how not to see. Even if we have eyes, we don't see the truth. With sama diti, right view. Once right view arises, the Eightfold Path just flows from that. We had a well drilled recently. A dowser came and divined the source of water in an ancient way that he learned from his father. He used two branches which bend down towards the earth at the spot where they drilled, and lo, there they found a very rich well with sweet water. When there's a natural spring, water gushes from the earth. With right view, the Dhamma will naturally spring forth. And out of that, the Eightfold Path rises up and unfolds in front of us. And the coming of right view can be just a blow, a pandemic. Maybe this is the arising of right view for many people. It also brings a lot of suffering. But maybe the suffering will be a nimitta for a lot of people. They taste suffering for the first time. We don't wish suffering on anyone, but without dukkha, it's very difficult to understand the Dhamma.